This morning's reading is from Acts 2, 22 to 41. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourself know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day, about 3,000 persons were added. Amen. Good. Thank you, Hilary, very much indeed. So we return to our series of sharpening our vision. This is what we started doing back in Easter, went through to the uh, early summer. Then we took a little bit of a break as we looked at some of the Psalms of Ascent during uh, July and August. And we come back now to welcome, love, challenge, and grow, which are the four key words that we are emphasizing in the life of our church at the moment. And uh, we will be reinforcing those in a number of different ways as we progress through this autumn season. 
Welcome, love, challenge, and grow. Four very important words, four words that will be constantly speaking to us because it's not as if once we've said a little bit about welcome, we forget about that and go on to love and then forget about that and go on to challenge. It's not like that. It's that they all build on each other. And uh, all of them together, something of a focus of the whole of our vision statement. Our vision statement is much broader than that. But these four words we feel just kind of capture the heart of it. And so we really want this way of thinking to be embedded in the life of the church in these coming months. And uh, in the period between Easter and the summer, we had a few sermons around the theme of welcome and a few around the theme of love. Uh, we're now going to take a few around the theme of challenge and around the theme of grow. And these sermons will also have some home group notes attached to them. So those of you who are in home groups, if your group decides to follow some of these notes, if not consecutively, immediately after the sermons, then uh, where it fits in your program through the autumn, I'm sure that's going to be helpful to you. So we're thinking particularly now about challenge. The church is, of course, a place of welcome and of love. Those are Christ-like attitudes which are foundational to who we are and what we do. Every person is special to Jesus. Every person is important to us. We need to keep on working as to how we put into practice what welcome actually means, what love actually means. But the church is a gospel community as well. And it, part of that is to recognize the importance of challenge. We are not just here to embrace with welcome and support with love, but nothing else. Because God is challenging us, and he's bringing us to a place of challenge as we live out the Christian, Christian gospel today. The gospel itself presents the greatest challenge of all. And Christian living is a challenging journey. We heard earlier of one or two of the uh, challenges that come to those who are starting something new this week. We need to let Scripture challenge our thinking. And the Holy Spirit challenges or convicts when we need to change. And in a genuine community of trust, we need to allow each other to challenge our words and our deeds. Not in reckless criticism, not by any means, but as disciples together, learning and growing. Now, challenge is a big word, and there are many, many sermons that could be developed from this word challenge. But in sharpening our vision at this point in time, in our church's life, uh, we're going to take just uh, four elements of challenge in the coming Sundays. The challenge of true repentance is this morning, the challenge of active faith, uh, the challenge of believing prayer, and the challenge of pioneer mission. And these are all linked to stories in the book of Acts, as were our sermons on welcome and love. And we'll link it a little bit into some of the evenings uh, in the later part of this month and next. So we start today with the story of Pentecost in Jerusalem, some seven weeks after the resurrection. This Wonderful story that's uh, just illustrated here on the screen. When the disciples were together, and all of a sudden there was a strong wind blowing, and the tongues of fire came to rest on each of them, and the drama brought together a crowd in Jerusalem who came from many different regions, but all heard their own language being spoken. 
And then, Jesus, uh, then Peter rather, stood up and addressed the crowd. And it was our reading that picked up the later part of Peter's address as Peter spoke to them about Jesus. And this is a kind of thing that Peter said about Jesus. He said something about Jesus' life and ministry. He focused on his miracles, his wonders and his signs. And then he spoke about his death on the cross. A consequence of both God's sovereign purpose and the result of the destructive intentions of those who plotted his death. And it's very interesting that as Peter talks to the crowd on the day of Pentecost, he holds those two aspects of the death of Jesus together. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Both sides of Jesus' death. But then Peter went on to speak about his resurrection. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And God raised him from dead. And then he uses something of the Old Testament in talking about uh, picking up the psalm that David said uh, about the Lord in expanding a little bit more about the resurrection. Then he went on to his exaltation that God had been raised to the presence of Jesus had been raised to the presence of God the Father from whom now comes the Holy Spirit. And then there comes a sort of summary phrase after Peter has spoken about Jesus in his life, in ministry, his death on his cross, his resurrection, his exaltation. It's all gathered together in this summary phrase in verse 36. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is such a powerful description of the life of Jesus, all of which happened only in a very short time before Peter spoke in this way. Many of the crowd in Jerusalem at Pentecost would have also been there at Passover just seven weeks earlier when the crucifixion took place. Many would have been first-hand witnesses of these things. And the crowd on Pentecost were listening to this story. And then comes the crunch. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That is an interesting and powerful phrase. They were cut to the heart. What should we do, they asked. And the response was clear. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. You see, the life of Jesus is absolutely remarkable. You can read biographies of famous people, and I've got quite a few on my bookshelves, but nothing comes anywhere near to the life of Jesus. So many unexpected twists and turns, a fascinating interplay between the human and the divine, such a combination of power and humility, victory and suffering, light and darkness. The story of Jesus is phenomenal, and ultimately, it is a life which presents to us the greatest challenge of all. So this morning, what are you going to say or do in the light of what you know about Jesus Christ? He is the Son of God who came to save the world. He shared our humanity to the full. He felt our pain. He came alongside the marginalized, the rejected, the lost, 
And at the same time, he challenged the successful, the wealthy, the leaders of his day. And he provided hope for every single person. Ultimately, he took our sins in his own body when he died on the cross. And then he rose as conqueror over death so that we can live a new life trusting in him. So today, what are you going to do in the light of who Jesus is and what he has done? There is now a time gap of over 2,000 years, but the significance of his life and his death is no less at all. We have a huge mix of worldviews and religious persuasions across the globe. And many of that rich variety is also expressed in our community locally. But there is only one person who stands before us this morning seeking a heart response. And his name is Jesus. And Peter on the day of Pentecost called those who were listening to repent. They were cut to the heart. Something affected them deeply. He didn't call them to think kind things about Jesus. He didn't call them to stop every now and again from whatever else they were doing and read a little bit about the story of Jesus or listen to someone speaking about Jesus. He called them to repent. Peter's preaching was effective not only in convincing their minds, but in convicting their consciousness, their consciences. Consciences. They were cut to the heart. What does it mean to you today that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again? Is it all so familiar? because you've heard it so many times that it actually doesn't mean anything. Imagine this morning that this was the first time you were hearing about Jesus. Imagine this morning that you were the only person that was hearing this. What are you going to do? Jesus would have still come if you were the only person here. And he will still speak to you if you're the only person listening. Christianity doesn't start with you, of course. It starts with him. It starts ultimately with God, who loved the world so much that he gave his only son. So he knows you, and he loves you, and he died for you, and he is alive to be with you now. There is a purity about Jesus, a holiness in his character and his actions that far surpasses any other human being. And the first thing that Jesus calls us to do when we take him seriously is to repent. And as we saw on the screen, the end of Sarah's uh, little activity with the children this morning, the message translation of the word repent is change your life. Change your life. That's the challenge that we're thinking about today. And just because many of you, I know, are in a place of faith and the commitment to Christ, doesn't mean that you can put this one to one side. 
and say, I'll wait for the other challenges. We all need to be in the place where we're hearing this challenge again this morning. Repentance means turning around. And sometimes I think this is marginalized, or it's even missing in the way in which we view Christianity today. Jesus told a story on uh, one occasion of three would-be followers of, of Jesus, three would-be disciples. And each of them had a good reason why they needed to do something first before they followed him. On another occasion, he told a story about those who wanted to build a tower, but didn't stop to count the cost. And I think there are a huge number of unfinished towers today. And a huge number of people who've heard something about Jesus, but haven't gone any further. People who take something of an interest in Jesus Christ, but have not truly found themselves to be cut to the heart by their own failures before God and sincerely come to the place of repentance and faith. Nominal Christianity is when we take the cloak of faith, wrap it around us, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Repentance, on the other hand, is about a complete turning away from everything that we know to be wrong. A deep sorrow for the way in which our lives fall short of the beauty, the wonder, the glory, the beauty, and the perfection of God himself. Repentance is not an emotion, feeling sorry for what is wrong. Repentance is not even a speech, saying sorry for what is wrong. Repentance is deeper than both of those because it is an action turning from what we know to be wrong. Jesus was quite ruthless when he spoke about sin. He said, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. I don't believe for one moment that the intention is that we follow this in a literal manner. We would have a huge number of dismembered uh, bodies around us. But it's a vivid manner of speaking to show the seriousness of temptation and of those things which are wrong. And on another occasion when the disciples were struggling to come to terms with Jesus' own predicted death, Jesus went on to say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And for many early disciples of Jesus, the outcome of their faith and obedience to Christ was literally that they would die a martyr's death. Thankfully, we are in a much more tolerant society now. But there remains a genuine cost of discipleship that emerges out of our sincere repentance and faith. So true repentance will affect every part of our lives. And sometimes it will affect other people as well. If we've treated others wrongly, we may need to seek their forgiveness. If we've taken what belongs to others wrongly, 
then we may need to offer restitution. The story of Zacchaeus is obviously an example of this. Having made a lot of money through extortionate charges, he responded to Jesus by saying he would give half of his possessions to the poor and repay four times those he had treated. Today, we stand before a pure and holy God. And in the light of his glory, we all have to say that we have sinned. Today we hear the message of Jesus, the light of the world. And today we all have to say, there are shades of darkness in our lives. And this is not just for those who are not yet believers. We all need to hear and respond to this today. So I'm speaking to myself as much as to anyone else. God wants to bring us to this place. Second Peter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Interesting that that verse speaks of the patience of God in longing that we come to repentance. Not longing that we come to salvation, not longing that we come to new life, though all of those longings are implied, I'm sure. But longing that we come to repentance. But having come to that place, true repentance will, of course, naturally lead to faith. Why are you doing it? Why are you turning away from what is wrong? Why are you responding in any way to what Jesus says? Because, of course, he is good news. We're turning away from what is wrong because we're turning to Jesus, who is himself the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're laying the foundation for the most exciting discovery of all, which is a whole new life in Jesus. When we truly repent and truly believe, then a whole new world opens up to us. So, if your life with Jesus is not particularly exciting today, if faith doesn't seem to have a sense of adventure about it, then I suggest you revisit the whole process. Go right back to the beginning and ask, what is wrong in your life now? Where are those shades of darkness? Is there an attitude that needs to change? Is there an action which needs to be corrected? Is there a temptation that needs to be resisted? Is there a priority that needs to be adjusted? What do you need to turn away from in order to turn again to Jesus and find the fullness of life in him? Because I think faith comes alive when repentance is genuine and deep. And for those first believers, those steps of repentance and faith on the day of Pentecost were hugely significant. They led, of course, to the amazing public baptism of 3,000 that day. I so wish I was there in Jerusalem. It's beyond imagining, isn't it? I mean, just think about it. Such a huge 
public demonstration of faith, whatever form it took and whatever it looked like, it was something utterly remarkable. And of course, it set the pattern of church life ever since. Not every Christian denomination practices baptism as we do. But many do recognize the powerful significance of this process of repentance and faith and then declaring your faith by being baptized and walking into that newness of life. And closely associated with our repentance and believing is God's promise of forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is where it all gets so exciting. Because if the repenting and the believing is what we have to do, then the forgiving and the empowering is what God does. And that's fantastic. And to be truly forgiven of all that has gone wrong as far as God's concerned generates a remarkable liberty and freedom. We may also need to be quite specific in forgiving others and forgiving ourselves. But the heart of the gospel is that God forgives us. And then he provides us with his spirit, that source and energy for our Christian living, such a wonderful gift and promise. A promise for all generations and all nationalities. And a clear indication that this story on the day of Pentecost was not a one-off. It was not intended just for one moment. This was setting the way for the generations to come of which we today are a part. So this morning, the challenge of repentance. We need to hear today that challenge which starts with a genuine repentance rather than a half-hearted Christianity that's something like a cloak of faith or an unfinished tower. We need to identify what is wrong in what ways we are not following the life that God has given to us. Is your trust completely in Jesus today? And once the Holy Spirit brings you to that place, be totally assured of God's forgiveness and his grace and his mercy and rise up in the strength and power of the Spirit.